has nothing to do with the Trump train. Every morning at the mine you could see him arrive. He stood six foot six and weighed 245, kind of broad at the shoulder and narrow at the hip. And everybody knew you didn't give no lip to Big John. Nobody seemed to know where John called home. He just drifted into town and stayed all alone. He didn't say much. He kind of quiet and shy. And if you spoke at all, you just said hi to Big John. Somebody said he came from New Orleans where he got in a fight over a Cajun queen and a crashing blow from a huge right hand sent a Louisiana fella to the promised land, Big John. Big John. Big bad John. Okay. So, that's my jam. I always say they wrote that song about me. Um, even though it was written like two years before I was born, or maybe ten. I don't know. Oh, so, I, I found, or I heard something interesting um about psychological warfare uh on the uh tim cast uh irl podcast and somebody tell me what irl stands for by the way um back in nam vietnam Good morning, Vietnam. Which is a great Robin Williams movie. But they had this uh, psychological warfare that they used against the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese Army. Now, Viet Cong were uh, the quote-unquote guerrilla army. 
where during the day they'd be you know, out plowing the fields with their ox. They would be, you know, uh, farming their, their rice paddies. And then at night they were either, they would come out of, you know, thin air uh, and attack American troops. Um, I shouldn't say thin air, but, you know, they were ambush Americans. They would set up booby traps in the jungle, so on and so forth. And um, without knowing it, uh, there was quite a bit of psychological warfare uh, used by the uh, Viet Cong. In fact, um, Vietnam is one of the places where the term brainwashing came from. You know, they would get American POWs and uh, deprive them of sleep. Uh, you know, the horror stories you've heard of torture and whatnot. But they, sometimes the Vietnamese would call it re-education, communist re-education, you know. America is the terrible, evil empire, and the the communists of uh, North Vietnam and and where whatnot are the good guys. The commies are the good guys. We're the freedom fighters fighting for you know freedom from capitalist and Western oppression and, and such. And they would try to convince uh, the Americans that <clears throat> their government was evil, um, and so on and so forth. But what's not uh, as as well known is that the Americans used psychological warfare to disparage the uh, Vietnamese, like I said before, the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese Army from fighting. It was called Operation Wandering Soul. Uh, and it's talked about in a 1993 novel of the same name by Richard Powers and the name of the novel was Operation Wandering Soul. Wandering Soul was a propaganda campaign, large scale psychological warfare attempt by the United States forces during the Vietnam War. The US forces hoped the operation would weaken the morale of the Viet Cong and preyed on the fears of Many Vietnamese, uh, you see, in the Vietnamese culture, there exists the idea of the wandering soul. It is the Vietnamese belief that the dead must be buried in their homeland or their soul will wander aimlessly in pain and suffering Vietnamese feel that if a person is improperly buried, then their soul wanders constantly. They can sometimes be contacted on the anniversaries of their death 
and near where they died. The Vietnamese honor these dead souls on a holiday when they return to the site where they died. The U.S. used this to their advantage and tried to trick the Viet Congs into leaving and play or into leaving by playing the audio recording of their dead friends wandering around. U.S. engineers spent weeks recording eerie sounds and altered voices which pretended to be the killed Viet Cong for use in the operation with the intent intended purpose of instilling a great sense of turmoil within the enemy the desired result being for the soldier to flee his position the taped dubbed ghost tape number 10 was played on loudspeakers outside U.S. bases. Helicopters were also sometimes employed to broadcast the recordings in which the voices called out to their descendants in the Viet Cong to defect and cease fighting. The extent of the operation's success is unknown. The Viet Cong usually returned fire upon encountering the recordings thus nullifying the intended outcome of the operation. Uh, I have a, a clip here, if it'll go. sounds like something you would hear uh, like a, a cheap recording um, that you would get at like a Walmart or somewhere of at Halloween you know one of those things where uh, somebody walks by and there's a sensor and it starts making ghostly noises um, that's what it sounded like to me but uh, this is fascinating to me because we hear a lot about psychological warfare uh, and things of that nature and I just thought that was really interesting when I heard that I mean you could imagine being you know uh, a Viet Cong Vietnamese soldier and you know having this strong belief just like you know maybe some Christians have a uh, strong belief in God or you know anybody that believes strongly in religion uh, you know, Muslims, uh, the ancient Mayans. Uh, back in the day, Christopher Columbus used uh, psychological warfare uh, against people in, I think it would be like the Bahamas or Virgin Islands now. Well, anyway, somewhere down there, on one of his voyages, he knew that there was a solar eclipse coming. He also knew he didn't have enough food and supplies for the people on his ships to make the return voyage. So he told the 
natives, the Indians as they were called at the time, that if you don't give us all of your food and whatever else we need to make the voyage back, mainly food, that our God will turn the moon red in two or three days. And he gave, he gave the exact number of days. I don't know off the top of my head if it was two days or one day or three days. But he, that was psychological warfare. They knew enough about astrology in Columbus's day in, the, in Europe that they knew when solar eclipses and things like that were coming. Well, this was a lunar eclipse, pardon me. Uh, so, as Columbus predicted, his god was so much stronger than their gods that his god turned the moon red. And the next day, the natives were like, whoa, and gave Columbus all of their uh, food so he and his people could make the journey back to Europe. Columbus was kind of a prick. <laughs> More than kind of. But, you know, this is what psychological warfare is. And it goes back, as I was doing my research here, to many, many moons ago. Uh, for example, um, the... Uh, during World War II, the British and the Americans uh, used um, different techniques and theories. Um, main, the main protagonists at the time were the A-forces set up in 1940 under Dudley Clark and the London Controlling Section. Uh, Clark pioneered many strategies of military deception uh, ideas from combining fictional orders of battle, visual deception, double agents, uh, helped define the Allied deception strategy during the war. Uh, during the lead-up to the Allied invasion of Normandy, many tactics in psychological warfare were devised. Plan of The plan for Operation Bodyguard set out general strategy to mislead German high command as to the extent, exact date and location of the invasion. Planning began in 1943 under auspicious, the auspice of London Controlling Section A, Draft Strategy, referred to Plan Jewel, Jail, J-E-J, a-E-L, however you say that, jail, was presented to Allied High Command at the Tehran Conference for Operation Fortitude. It was intended to convince the Germans of a greater Allied military strength than existed through fictional armies, fictional field armies, faked operations to prepare the ground invasion and leaked information about the Allied order of battle and war plans. <coughs> what they did was they made, like, inflatable tanks, uh, 
kind of like the yard decoration inflatables people use today. Uh, they made uh, cardboard, you know, troop carriers, um, dummies dressed up as soldiers, and all sorts of things. They uh, actually took a dead body, dressed it up uh, nicely like a CIA agent, handcuffed a briefcase to it, and shot it out of a submarine onto um, one of the shores of occupied France where the Germans would find this body with all this military intelligence on it and think, oh, we've got their, their strategy and their plans. And this, this worked. They even uh, had uh, fake paratroopers dolls dressed like paratroopers made to look like paratroopers however you want to say it uh, and they threw them out of planes um, over Norway to make the Germans think that we were coming from the north I think it was Norway but nor maybe northern occupied France whatever uh, just crazy stuff and that's all psychological warfare deception Making your enemy think you have more equipment and soldiers than you have. Uh, even goes back to prehistoric times. Warlords and chiefs recognized that you know weakening the morale of opponents uh, was a good strategy. Uh, in the Battle of Pelusium, 525 BC, between the Persian army and ancient Egypt. The Persian forces used cats and other animals as a psychological tactic against the Egyptians to avoid harming the cats due to the religious beliefs and spells. Back in ancient Egypt, they, they worshipped cats and, uh, you know, the sphinx has a cat-like feature to it. Um, currying favor with supporters was the other side of psychological warfare. An early practitioner, Alexander the Great, uh, who successfully conquered large parts of Europe and the Middle East, held on to his territorial gains by co-opting local elites into the Greek administration and culture. Alexander left some of his men behind in each conquered city to introduce Greek culture and oppress dissident views. His soldiers were paid dowries to marry locals in an effort to encourage assimilation. So they would, you know, have soldiers and leaders stay behind uh, and make sure, one, that uh, the Greek culture was inundated into the local culture, even as far as going, having... Greek men marry local women and assimilate them into the Greek lifestyle. Pretty, pretty interesting, eh? Let's look at something modern. See, that's all interesting, but that was Vietnam and it was spirits and uh, we don't believe in that stuff anymore. Hmm. Here's an article from Town Hall. Is the media 
engaging in a form of psychological warfare against America. Oh, halt, stop, and a whoa, whoa. A recent article written by, or written preliminary as a medical, oh shit, fire, let me start over. A recent article written primarily by a medical doctor in Alabama claimed that the way in which the media has pushed fear non-stop amounts to psychological warfare against the country. He added, if it hasn't occurred to you, we have heard one story and essentially one story alone for literally, literally two months. Well, that should have aroused suspicion. Is the doctor correct or is the media doing its best to be responsible in the midst of an unprecedented crisis? Talk, talking about the pandemic. Quite, I'm quite confident that nothing I write here will influence what the media is doing for two reasons. First, who am I that massive media organizations would listen to me? Second, fear sells and money talks. So, yeah, the more fear that the media builds up in you, the more you're going to turn your TV set to find out what the latest thing is to be afraid of, right? Like, early in the pandemic, Trump caught heck for trying to downplay it because he didn't want to frighten the American people. Well, the media wants to escalate fear because then, breaking news. Have you noticed everything's breaking news? Breaking news. It's, uh, Billy Bob Smith got his foot run over by a taxi cab. Film at 11. So what do you do? Oh my God, the guy, his foot, what in the hell? So you turn on the news at 11 o'clock, right? Come on. It, it's true. And it's a type of psychological warfare. Uh, back to the article. Let me see who wrote this, by the way. I said townhall.com, but well, that's a link to an urgent poll. See, they're doing it. Urgent poll. Uh, this is written by Michael Brown. It was on April 29th. Okay, so... Doo, 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 scroll back up here. That being said, the question remains, is the media responsible in its reporting, helping its audience to act wisely during the pandemic, or is the media using fear tactics to get more viewers, listeners, and readers? makes sense right you gotta know the latest right remember at the beginning don't wear a mask go if you wear the mask you're gonna touch your face more and you're gonna get your finger in your eyeball and your finger's gonna have coronavirus on it you're gonna get coronavirus in your eye and your eye might pop out of your freaking head you better watch cnn next coronavirus update right so He says, if the latter is true, does it amount to sustained psychological warfare? Obviously, the media is such a generalized term that almost anything good or bad can be said about it. But if we focus on the major 
secular voices on TV, we can fine-tune both our questions and answers. One of the secrets of psychological warfare, called Psy War by the military, is to try to convince enemy troops to surrender, that surrender is sweet, that it is better to capitulate than continue to fight, that defeat is inevitable. In keeping with this, an Air Force colonel shared with me during World War I, Psy War pamphlets were dropped among German troops. That's true. I've heard about that before. Shortly after the end of the war, Field Marshal Paul von Hindenburg, the chief of staff of Kaiser's army, complained in the shower of pamphlets which scattered was scared by the enemy airmen, our adversary said and wrote, they did not think so badly of us that we must only be reasonable and perhaps here and there renounce something we had conquered. Then everything would soon be right again and we could live together in peace, perpetual international peace. As, to re as regards to peace within our own borders, New men and new governments would see to it that would see to that, sorry. What a blessing peace would be after all the fighting. There was therefore no point in continuing to struggle. And this is from the Air Force Special Operations School for Psychological Operations. So why does this matter? We've just been through a presidential election, right? where there was a lot of Twitter wars, there were a lot of memes, a lot of false information by both sides spread on social media. And for years, politicians uh, have used keen words or key words. Uh, for example, whenever President Clinton would have a State of the Union address. My mind slipped me for a minute there. Uh, Rush would say there's going to be one word that's going to be the, the, the key word in this address. Listen to it and see how many times he uses word, this. Listen to the words he uses and count the one that he uses most. Uh, and the year that I was watching and following Rush Limbaugh uh, this was like when he had a television show on top of his radio show. Uh, the key word was family values. Clinton used it like 56 times in his State of the Union address or something like that. Uh, you know, and oddly enough, it wasn't long after that we found out President Clinton wasn't much of a family valuer. Valuer of family? Whatever. Um, but like during the Obama campaign or any campaign I've been involved with that was worth anything. Uh, I wasn't involved with the Obama campaigns, but the other side. They look for words that will stick in people's minds. Uh, you know, health care. Uh, you know... What, what was the word that Obama... Well, the Republicans used Obamacare as the anti-universal health care word. Um, but, you know, 
the Democrats, Obama and them, would you know find the words, the most searched things on Google, and they hired companies to do this for them. And then as they saw what people were searching and what people were saying on social media, they would fine tune their message. And John McCain did it too. You know, they both hired uh, competing firms. Oddly enough, the firms were uh, uh, headed by or owned by former members of the United States military or intelligence agencies. And there was software and there was, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Software and uh, strategies, that's what I'm trying to say that were developed for the military and the um, special forces isn't the right word, but like the CIA, the FBI, for them to use. And then these uh, government officials and military officials would take that and copy it or have a company copy if it was software make a, a similar version of it for civilian use and then they would put it to use for the politicians to look at what we're talking about on social media and then they would gear their advertising towards that. Millie Weaver, who's an independent journalist, uh, you can find uh, the movie documentary Shadowgate at millennialmillie.com and it's a very good movie, very in-depth, and it actually has former military uh, people in it exposing and talking about how, yeah, so and look, this is the president of this company that aids the government or this politician, that politician in psychological warfare on the American people through social media. And they used to be a general, or they used to be head of the uh, National Intelligence Agency, or CIA. Crazy, they take this stuff that was bought and paid for by taxpayer dollars, re-engineer it for uh, civilian use, and then they use it on us to uh, brainwashes, for lack of a better term, into what you know the government or the politician or the intelligence agency wants us to think, do, act, believe, whatever. Uh, right here, Newsweek has an article. If you don't want to believe me or you know Millie Weaver, because she was associated with Alex Jones and Infowars at one time. Uh, Newsweek, a very a credible news source. Twitter executive. Let's let's look at the title here. So you can look it up for yourself if you want. The title of the article is Twitter Executive Revealed to be PsyOps Soldier Linked to Spreading Disinformation Across Social Media. A Threat to Our Democracy. By... Well, of course, it's a name I can't pronounce. 
T-A-R-E-Q, Tarike, Tariq, Haddad, H-A-D-D-A-D, Tariq Haddad, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. So the article starts out saying, Twitter executive with editorial responsibility for the Middle East and North Africa is also a reservist officer of the British Army's Psychological Warfare and Propaganda Unit, a new report revealed. Gordon McMillan, who joined Twitter in 2013 and listed as the company's head for editorial head of the company's editorial for EMEA, also serves in the 77th Brigade, an outfit formed in 2015 to conduct information warfare and develop non-lethal ways of conducting war. The report published in the British in Britain's Middle East Eye. Again, I'll, I'll say that again because I flubbed it the first time. The report published in Britain's Middle East Eye revealed that Macmillan or Macmillan, M A C M I L L A N, served with the unit for several years. Twitter has downplayed Macmillan's links to the army and said it supports his staff in their external volunteer commitments. Twitter is an open, neutral, independent service, <coughs> a spokesperson for Twitter said to Newsweek. We do not allow our data services to be used for surveillance purposes or any other manner inconsistent with people's expectation of privacy. Employees whose purpose, or pardon me, employees who pursue external volunteer opportunities are encouraged to do so in line with company policy. Okay, so the guy voluntarily joined the British Special Forces um, Psych Warfare or PsyOps unit. They, they throw that word volunteer like he's a volunteer for the Red Cross or something. <laughs> the spokesperson added, We proactively publish all tweets and accounts relating to state-backed foreign information operations on the service. Regardless of the source, we built this industry-leading archive to promote better public understanding of these threats. Proactively publish all tweets and accounts. Well, they unpublished Donald Trump's tweets and accounts. Uh, the British Army has distanced itself from Twitter in a statement. There is no relationship or agreement between the 77th Brigade and Twitter. Well, of course there wouldn't be if you're conducting psychological warfare. <coughs> you're not going to go out and tell this company, hey, we're checking out your, uh, your operation to gather information so we can, you know, propagate to people and influence their thoughts and things of that nature. Uh, One American soldier 
who came back from the Middle East said that when he was overseas, it was his job to go into, <coughs> let's say, chat rooms and uh, de-escalate young men who, or women, who might want to engage in terrorist activities towards American soldiers. Very good. You know, they would get on message boards like Reddit uh, or things like Twitter, uh, Facebook, whatever, and pretend to be other Middle Easterners. And they have a setup where I can be on a computer in Iraq, but it, it looks like I'm on a server someplace else in the world. Or I could be in Arlington, Virginia, at where Lang Langley and the CIA headquarters is, and it looks like I'm using a server uh, in Iran, so that if a local computer guy is smart enough to trace where my messages are coming from, it will look like my messages are coming from Iran. So they'll believe even further that they're talking to another Iranian or Iraqi or Syrian or something like that. <clears throat> now, isn't that strange? We have that technology. During the 2016 campaign, there was supposedly Russian interference in social media to try to influence the election. But... We know that our, our military and from the military, these companies that are now privately run, that are headed by former intel and military people, they have the ability to make it look like their computer is on a server in Russia. So... Why would Russians, knowing that this technology is out there also, because these private companies sell the technology to our enemies, why would the Russians use their own servers to spread propaganda and disinformation on American platforms like Facebook or Twitter when they know it can be traced back to a Russian server? So maybe it was somebody in the Democrat headquarters or some guy in his parents' basement pretending to be in Russia and posting, you know, in American message boards, propaganda, you know, vote for Donald Trump, you know, Hillary's a witch or something like that. See what I'm saying? The, the government developed this stuff to conduct psychological warfare on our enemies. Our generals and our uh, heads of intelligence agencies, then when they retired, take this, rework 
have they don't rework it themselves obviously but they have computer nerds that rework the software and all the networks that they need to friend you on Facebook look at your news feed and it's all done through you know computer algorithms and through uh, spyware malware wherever it is and they take that information and they pass it on to presidential candidates, be it Trump, McCain, Obama, Hillary. And they tell the campaign, hey, this is what the American people are text or not texting. They might be able to look at your texts, but I don't know. Uh, this is what people are tweeting. This is what people are Facebooking. This is what people are talking about in chat rooms. And then their people can gear advertisements, messages towards what the American people are thinking. So this is all psychological warfare developed by our government with our tax dollars to be used on our enemies and then instead of being turned around and used through private companies that are headed by former military intelligence, former government intelligence agencies <clears throat> being reverse engineered and used on us to make us think a certain way, make us uh, feel a certain way, maybe stir up enough crap to get people to storm a Capitol building, maybe to get people to think that the president invoked that storming of the Capitol. See what I'm saying? So the media we know uses narratives and pounds things into our heads. You, know, you have to see and hear something uh, X number of times in order to remember it. That's, that's a fact. You have to, I think you have to hear a word or a name 10 times in order to remember it. They taught us this in campaign school. But we were using, you know, pamphlets and flyers to get the name out. You know, these people are now using social media to get a message out. If they play that message enough times on social media, if they create enough posts, enough memes, eventually a certain group of people are going to start to believe that once they've seen it over and over again. Um, <clears throat> again, uh Shadowgate, the documentary Millie Weaver did. Uh, there's Shadowgate, there's Shadowgate 2.0, and I think she's coming out with Shadowgate 3.0. If you go to millennialmillie.com, they do a better job explaining it than I do. But, because I only have like 45 minutes I'm approaching here, uh, they do it in like an hour and a half. Maybe an hour. But, again, it folks we're, we're being brainwashed we're being manipulated through social media by uh you know politicians and government agencies every day so you have to be on your guard and be searching for the truth and it's not always a grandiose conspiracy truth i'm just saying you've got to if you hear a, a liberal outlet saying this or that or your liberal friends, go to a conservative or your conservative friends and be open-minded. I get lambasted every day on social media by 
my Democrat and liberal friends uh, for pushing my side of the truth. I'm not trying to influence them. I'm not saying I'm a thousand percent right. I'm trying to show them the other side to it and they just, you know, flip out and go liberal Trump derangement on me, but whatever. Um, but this is what, you know, you have to do. You got to think for yourself, peeps. And uh, so check me out on Facebook, eh, I'm not really using Facebook anymore. Twitter at the real underscore Big John, Parlor at the real Big John, uh, Patreon, Americana, the American Way, Rumble. It's it's all Americana, the American Way on platforms everywhere. So I think we've talked enough about psychological warfare from Egyptian cats to uh, moaning and wailing Viet Cong spirits <laughs> to. Uh, social media psychops. So with that, pray for each other. Have a blessed rest of your day or night or whenever you watch this. Thank you again, and we'll see you around like a donut. I'm going to run to the store and get a donut, actually. Man, I cooked up, you know what, this is off topic. I, cook, I cooked up a DiGiorno pizza tonight, and like the top was cooked. And the bottom was cooked, but it didn't rise. And when I bit into it, it tasted kind of doughy. I think they forgot to put the yeast in. So I mean, I ate like a, a, I forced a few slices on myself because I didn't want to waste it. But it just wasn't it wasn't right. So um, that kind of sucked. I was watching the Browns and Steelers game and looking forward to this pizza and. Um, didn't cook up right, tasted not quite right. So, little personal side note there, guys. God bless you. Pray for each other, like I said. And I'll see you the next time. Then came the day at the bottom of the mine when a timber cracked and men started crying. Miners were praying and hearts beat fast and everybody thought that they'd breathe their last, except John. Through the dust and the smoke of this man.